Hello, everyone. Robert Walker here, along with Caleb Pierce, and we are Sheep Things Podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to get down to the basics with industry leaders, associations, breeders, owners, vets, suppliers, and anyone else we can find to hear their stories and firsthand experiences. Hopefully, we will ask the right questions to see what makes them successful, how they got started, and what they see for the future of the sheep industry. We hope to have something new weekly that we can share, so stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates as they are published. Stay tuned as we try to share our learning experience with you all as we dive into the sheep industry together. Hey guys, get ready for Season 1, Episode 14. Our conversation uh, continues with Larry and Lisa Weeks of Waynesboro, Virginia. So I hope you enjoy uh, the rest of our conversation. So as far as, um, you know, so you guys talked about growth and, and parasite resistance and kind of what you're shooting for there. Um, as far as like adult weights go, do you guys have a range? Because you talked about how you tried to kind of build them up from that 125 level. Do you have kind of a target adult weight that you shoot for now? I would um, like my U to be 150 to 160 pounds. However, mm-hmm. we <laughs> after <laughs> after after we wean lambs, we'll we'll often range from 120 to 200. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we've got a couple of U's that are very big. Yeah. And they probably have no, singles and then they just stay no, nice. They, they oh, raise okay. twins and their twins are usually fine. No. They're yeah. just easy keepers. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> and that's not necessarily a bad <laughs> thing. They, yeah. No. And they probably hold their condition yep. pretty well if they're staying at 200 pounds at weaning. Yep. Or she eats all the yeah. grain. <laughs> yeah. That, that too. <laughs> uh, so maybe tell us a little bit about your, your market, um, for, for meat lambs, you obviously are selling breeding stock to, you know, producers. Um, I'm, I'm assuming probably both commercial and registered producers. Yes. Um, as far as your meat lambs, how do you guys market your meat lambs? Um, there's a gentleman in the area that, um, pulls together lamb to, take to restaurants in the um dc chesapeake bay area and um he also um sells to ethnic markets in virginia north carolina um maryland so they come down Mm -hmm. and and he um services them with with meat we sell all of our meat lambs to him Nice. Is there a certain yeah, it depends on who the buyers for? are. For the restaurant, he wants a lamb that's 110 to 120 pounds live. Yeah, and uh, for the ethnic markets, they could range anywhere from 50 to 90 pounds. It just depends. Yeah. And, and tax. 
Man, that fit that fifty yeah, that fifty pound lamb is such a hard deal. You know, mine ain't even weaned at that size. And uh, you know, it just I just feel like I'm cheating the animal of its genetic yeah, potential yeah, to let it go at fifty pounds. Um, but but I know there's times yeah. of the year where there's a lot of money we in it. D- don't sell any lambs to to the market until after uh, 150 days usually. So yeah. I, I I like to get all the data right. I can get before I get rid of them. Even if I sell, you know, mm-hmm. as breeding stock, I'll I'll say, you know, put a deposit on. We'll call you when they're ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's kind of tough on. Um, you know, doing 120, 150 day weights and, and data, man, sometimes it mm-hmm. kills you Try, you know, with the timing of the market, you know, and, uh, and it let, and, and sometimes depending on your genetics, I mean, my, my animals are too big now for the market, <laughs> you know, and so I take a little bit of a hit because I'm trying to collect the data. Uh, yeah, it's a line it's you t- have to determine tough, which side you're going to walk on. Yep. Yep. I got to, de- you got to determine if the gain, if your long-term genetic gain yeah. uh, is worth the So the, it just depends on, you know? on what kind of data you want to get. You know, NSIP is going to separate the females from the males. So if you wanted to get rid of all your males at weaning and not worry about the 150 day weights, that shouldn't impact your females. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah and out here it's been, a little tricky. And, and one thing I've, you know, kind of tried to, to work on, um, you know, I've had to develop different markets is, you know, I'll have people that will contact me. They might want a few meat lamps to put in their backyard or whatever at, at you know, whenever they're weaned. And, and for me, lambing in April, 120 days, I mean, we're talking mid August before I can sell somebody lamb by that point, yeah. <laughs> their grass is way too <laughs> tall and, and they don't have grass to put out. But, uh, but like you said, I mean, my focus is, is the data really. And, and if I can get, you know, an extra 10 lambs worth of data, then I'll get that 10 lambs worth of data and, and use it. And it's going to help me improve long-term and help me raise better sheep in the future. So, um, it, it is, I think, you know, that's one of the interesting things about collecting data is sometimes it, it costs you to collect the data, but, but it pays you in the long run. Um, you're investing in in your flock in the future. In a yeah, way. I believe I believe that, or I wouldn't do it because it is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. My yeah. my kids my kids yeah. hate me because I'm I'm I work sheep every day over the Memorial weekend. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the good thing is, is the data entry now is a lot. I mean, I, I didn't, I wasn't around for the other stuff, but, uh, no, it's not, you know, pedigree master is not that bad. Yeah. And especially if you use a spreadsheet and import it, it's pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's intimidating at it's first, quick, but once you, you get know? the hang of it, it's not that scary. Yeah. Now do y'all lay them out of season any, or do you just, I uh, have the energy to do it once a year. year. <laughs> Plus I don't have the numbers. I mean, my flock would be weird right. looking if I tried to lamb twice a year. My contemporary groups would be just all messed up. So once a year is enough for me. Yeah, there pro- that's probably there's probably a number uh, to where it's 
not advantageous just from a volume standpoint. Back and, to your contemporary. And fall yeah. lambing, I, I don't know. I think it's not necessarily natural. And so you, I don't think you get the same um, lambing percentages in fall lammers, but maybe that's not true. Maybe there's genetics in play that uh, there are definitely all season lammers out there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's probably back to the parasite thing. You know, if 10 years ago a minus 10 was was a good parasite-resistant animal, and then you start finding those oddball um, sires to, to increase that, you know, the fall genetics is probably the same way. You know, you probably, you know, it's never been probably selected for or a trait that's measured or tracked. And and now you got people kind of doing it, so maybe maybe that will increase. Yeah, yeah. I talked to a, a breeder who was raising uh, polypays, and and we were talking about parasite resistance, and and I was telling him I was using a ram with a you know a negative ninety um, on parasite resistance, and he was like, oh wow, he's like I never use a ram above a negative sixty because of what I give up in other traits, and um, but the reality is, you know, Catans have have pushed it so hard. And, and done that balanced selection that we've gotten to the point where we can have an animal with a negative 90 and still have a balanced trait. And, um, you know, I think just with careful selection, you can kind of highlight any, any trait, like, like Robert was saying, I mean, even if you, you shoot for the fall lambing, you can kind of highlight it. And over time, um, you know, pull out those, those genetics that maybe aren't there quite as much. Right. But, uh, it, it takes some, definitely takes some time. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're only fall lambing and not trying to do both, then yeah. Cause I mean, the way it is now, NSIP only accepts one lambing per you per year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty tough. I don't like that. <laughs> well, because if you're, if you're pushing it, we're a maternal breed, then, mm-hmm. then we need to reward these girls. Yeah, and it might be something they can work on in the future, but I know um, right now that's not, probably on the horizon. Yeah. My, from what I heard, it cost a lot of money to add that, you know, into their deal. So, Oh, well, we need somebody with lots of money to invest. And right now the genomics is they're working a lot on that. I think there's going to be some interesting data coming out of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be really exciting to see, and and hopefully they can get a a genomic study to or a genomic um, test developed out of this study for parasite resistance, where you can have genomically enhanced EBVs and and really start to to select more on an industry wide level on that. And I mean, it's exciting. I just saw the update the other day that that they're opening up the the Fecal Lake County EBVs to all yes. the breeds, which is pretty awesome. Yep. Yep. It's a big deal. Yep. It's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So have you guys seen, because you guys have been doing you know this long enough with NSIP, um, I'm assuming when you guys started, there probably wasn't a, a Fecal Lake County no, PV yet. There wasn't. Um, have you guys seen some, some pretty dramatic progress in your flock, um, both on the EBV side, but also in, in you know, time and um, resources put into fighting parasites uh, where you can be put in genetics? in to fight parasites have you seen kind of some some tangible results there definitely um you know that's one of the things i searched for on these two new rams was they had to have decent parasite resistance 
And uh, I've definitely noticed a difference in my lambs this year. Huge. Yeah. So it's very, it's very heritable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really like the, uh, the NSIP yes. search uh, option. Do y'all use that quite a bit? Man, I, I love it. I love how you can yeah. dial in a trait yep. and arrange four traits, you know, whether it be two or three traits or, um, you know, or, or all of them, you know, and boom, yeah. pop it up. Yeah. It was kind of like, funny. I, really I was like, that. Well, you know, I've since kind of figured out a way to do it in my own data. But at first I was, you know, when I was looking at my UAMs, it was as simple as I could type in a range of, of what I wanted. And then I can just click through the pages till I get to my flock ID and, Hey, these are the lambs in my flock to meet the criteria. I mean, you can even use it for selecting in your own flock if you want yes. to. Um, I mean, it, it's really nice if you can use your own data because then you can, you know, look at the accuracies and stuff and better if you, you know, build it in an Excel spreadsheet. But boy, it's it sure is quick when you can use that online database. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's very it's very user friendly. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things that that some people really focus on is is kind of easy care traits. Um, you know, some some breeds. It's you know, I've I've heard from people that raise other breeds, and they're like, "Man, when these lambs are born, it's kind of like they want to die." Um, and <laughs> some, you know, if you don't put an emphasis on some of the, oh, I guess you could call them the less tangible traits. Um, you know, over time, you might lose a little bit of those. Um, so how do you guys, you know, factor, you know, things like, like mothering in, I mean, mothering is going to be covered by the maternal weaning weight, but um, do you guys have separate ways that you kind of track, you know, maybe animal health or, um, you know, easy care type traits, um, since you guys can use the EBVs to, to push them or uh, maybe walk us through how you you know, how you select, uh, maybe outside of EBVs or is there a selection that you think is valid outside of EBVs? Well, lamb, uh, the lambing barn, one advantage of jugging is that they're, they're there and isolated for you to, to watch their behavior. And yeah, so, definitely. you know, I'll, I'll keep little notes about, you know, what I see. I had one new lamb that mm-hmm had a set of beautiful twins and she ended up killing both of them by laying on them. And she had this humongous pen. So, so she doesn't mm. get another chance. She failed at motherhood. <laughs> she, yeah. <laughs> she, yeah, she's already gone, but you know, and then you have other you, you lambs that their first time lambing, they're like, um, so, into it you know they're they're locked onto those lambs and they're scared of you and they're scared of what's happening but that's their baby and they're gonna you know take care of it so and then you have those Mm -hmm. other you lambs that i don't know what happened and i don't want any part of it you know you have to convince them that (laughs) yes you do and this is your job so you know you make no little notes of those and 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 react accordingly do you want to deal with this every year or do you not yeah. So, and you yeah. know, do they talk to their lambs? You know, what, how do they interact? So there are some behavioral issues that yes, I do key in on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny this year. One of the Rams that I used, um, I, I noticed his lambs would be born and those lambs, they, they come out and then they would just start mang and mang. And at first I was like, let's deal with these lambs. 
Are they going to always be this noisy? And then after like, you know, a day, they're really quiet. I mean, even after just a few hours, but I was kind of like, it's actually kind of a, a decent trait. You know, the lambs are born, they're talking yeah. to their moms, their moms are talking to yeah. them. Um, you know, they're, they're building that bond. And, and like you said, you know, there are the ewes that it, it, it certainly seems like they do a much better job, you know, talking to the lambs, calling the lambs, um, really, you know, paying attention to their lambs. They, they almost become obsessed with, with their lambs. And those are the ones that, that you certainly uh, appreciate yes. um, and certainly save you time in the long term. <laughs> Definitely. So, so what's your guys' philosophy on on hooves um you know some people that that like to trim hooves some people that think it's a good idea to trim hooves some people that that hate trimming hooves um what do you guys you know what does your system call for because you know some people maybe might be in, in rocky areas some people might be in in clay mud and and your hooves become a bigger issue um how do you guys deal with that well we have to trim hooves because we have nothing to wear them down so um we have started being more focused on hoof care lately. So um, mm-hmm. we're, we've trimmed twice already this spring. We just trimmed uh, Sunday, uh, Monday. I trimmed the ewes Monday. So, um, and we had trimmed them before on May, 1st of May. So yeah, they um, grow really fast. <laughs> on this uh, wet ground. And so we've had to trim a lot. It's not easy. Yeah. And this has been such a wet spring. And we've Uh never trimmed lamb hooves until recently, but oh my gosh, they can grow fast. Huh. So I had, uh, let me ask you guys a question. I don't know. uh, I've asked several people and I, and I, and I just get, thoughts and i don't know if anybody else has experienced this or not but a friend of mine bought a ram at uh maybe the first expo in cookville and um she also bought a ds uh tilt table and stuff and i was fixing to buy one so i wanted to look at all the brands and touch them all before i invested and uh so i uh she invited us down she's probably two or three hours from here we drove down and and we got there the and we got there probably maybe a month and a half after expo. And so she, she bought this Ram of course, you know, in the expo, his feet was trimmed and, and looked great. And, um, we got there about a month, month and a half later. And this <laughs> thing looked like a, uh, founder donkey. looked like a, <laughs> a founder pony, a founder pony or donkey. Yeah. And, and I'm like, Holy moly, what happened? And, um, so how much mineral play, you know, I mean, I just can't imagine one growing that I, fast, I can't you know, explain it. without some kind of mineral. Or I can't explain or it other than I've got some that grow super fast and I have some don't grow very fast, but, yeah. um, yeah. yeah. So you've had some do that too, then some mm-hmm. it's grown that. Yeah. yeah oh, wow. Uh, those, those get the uh, black ear tag no, of death. I haven't, probably. I haven't called any for their feet yet, but it might be coming. Mm-hmm. And gotcha. uh, there's also been discussion about black hooves versus white hooves. So mainly, one yeah, that one was year my next we actually question. started making notes, and basically, is a wash. <laughs> we had a huh. 
Yeah, I think so too. I, you know, I have both, you know, people ask me, well, what color feet do they have? I don't know. I don't even look, you know, because it's, uh, it's irrelevant. I, you know, I don't notice, uh, one having more problems than the other. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting. Cause, cause I've kind of actually had the opposite experience where I've actually seen a difference between the black hooves and the white hooves. And granted it could be that, that, you know, the Fox that I got the, um, the white hooves from didn't focus on hooves and the flocks I got more of the black hoof genetics from did focus on it. So that, that could be it. But, but I've, I have noticed a, a difference, um, with the hoof color, which is interesting because I have some friends that also, or that they raise goats and, and they've noticed a difference on the hoof color in their goats. Um, but it's the exact opposite. They see that the black hooves in their goats grow way faster. They're harder to trim. Um, they have to trim them a lot versus the white hooves. They grow slower. They don't need as much trimming. So it's kind of, kind of interesting. It's like, yeah, like, like you're saying, I mean, maybe it's, it's simply more of a, um, you know, genetic thing and not so much a color thing. Yeah. Cause, cause when I first heard the the color thing, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Like why would the color have anything to do with how, how fast these hooves are going to grow? I mean, that, that just, it, it would be like, you know, going out to your pens and sorting your sheep by their hair color. Um, saying that's going to give you more twins or triplets. It just, it didn't right. make it's sense to me. Probably the, um, it's the way the build, the hoof is built versus the color, I think more than anything else. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So. Well, same with horses, you know, uh, um, I've had horses, you know, I just had a gelding die a couple of years ago. It was 34 year old and he probably hadn't had his foot trimmed in probably 20 <laughs> years, 25 wow. years and uh and his feet uh looked perfect you know his his angles were great uh and they just wore naturally perfect mm -hmm. and then i've got i've had some that that man if you don't trim them every six or eight months you know yeah. they just fall apart you know so i think confirmation is is uh is definitely something that is makes a difference in, in how the hoof mm -hmm. wears so did you buy a hilt table I did. I did. I went, uh, you know, I left expo and, um, and I went to probably, I say I went and touched a Ketchum, a, uh, Sidell, a DS and a Townsend. Uh, so I, I used them all, you know, I found people, I reached out to the manufacturers on some of them and they told me who the closest people were. And I reached out to people and went and visited their farm and, and, uh, you know, got to use every one of them before I bought. So it was a great experience. Everybody told me the things they liked and didn't like. So I got to, uh, apply that to my situation before I made a purchase. So it was a very good, uh, I, good experience. Which I, one did I you recommend buy? that to everybody? Is it, I does it have elf. the a back thing that comes on, on the top of their back and the head catch? Okay. Yeah. It I does. wish ours yep. had, if I were to, to buy a new one, I would definitely get one that actually closes them down tighter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, one thing I didn't know, you know, um, if you don't ask these guys questions, they just sell you what they have. And, um, I've modified my Sidell. Um, you know, I had a, a dog attack a couple of years ago and it, and it ripped the hide off of, uh, the left side of one of my ewes. 
Wow. Well, man, when I put this thing in my table, that's uh-huh. a side I don't have access to, you know, so I, I couldn't, I had her in there and was, and was trying to work on her and I just couldn't get to the spot I needed. So, uh, so I took this thing back to the house and I, and it's a solid side, you know, and I cut it, put some hinges on it where it has a drop down, uh, where I can access both sides now. And, uh, so I'm telling Kyle, you know, the next time I seen him, I'm like, man, y'all need to, Oh, we'll offer that. And nobody ever asked for it. I'm like, well, nobody knows it's a, nobody knows they can, you know? And, uh, so, you know, I, these guys can do anything if you ask them. And, uh, and we're, we're going to get, Kyle's going to do a podcast with us here pretty soon. And, and we're going to, we're really going to, uh, let him explain some of the oddball stuff they've done and, and some of the things that people don't ask or don't know to ask, you know, and like you can get a galvanized one. Yeah. You know, who knew? Mm-hmm. So do y'all, y'all have a, uh, side that we have uh, a DS. deluxe then, right? We've had, it, we've had it for years. Okay. But this is an old one and they don't push it anymore and advertise it, yeah. but it's electric. Yeah. Yo, I have a friend that had one that was electric and, uh, and hydraulic. Let's see electric over hydraulic. And, and I think it was a catch huh. that modified one for them. Um, see, so what I didn't like about the DS, I first, I thought it was the length. I thought, man, these things are short. When I measured them, they're exactly the same. Uh, but the bottom part didn't open up very wide. And, um, and, and the lady that I went to visit, you know, her sheep would, would just kind of stand there like, now what, you know? And, uh, the Seidel opened up very, you know, it, when you opened the head gate, the whole thing came open yeah. and they just walked right out, you know? And so I was kind of watching the flow of the animals, uh, to, you know, to see, and every one of them did that on the DS. And, and I had a Townsend at the time and, and the Townsend and the Ketchum don't have a floor. So the sheep would kind of they didn't flow into that thing very well. And when they went in there and you first started moving, they just, mine just fell to the ground. They just buckled. And, um, and then I, you know, my wife, my goal was to see if my wife could flip one by herself and the way those things operate, you know, you've got all the weight on them is on you up until a certain point. And, um, so I, I just, I just didn't like that. The, the, t- the rolling tilt table deal, you know, I narrowed it down to the DS and the side pretty quick. And, uh, but yeah, I recommend everybody to call all the manufacturers, go to, go to Sedalia. Well, we you know, they're all on display this year, there. Probably. And <laughs> no, not this year. No, but you'd be surprised how many, you know, especially, you know, probably in your part of the world, my part of the world, maybe not in Caleb's world, but you'd be surprised how many of those things those guys have sold within an hour or two yeah, circle of where you live, you know? And, uh, so it's easy to go visit and, and people like me and you, we're, we're going to tell you what we like and don't like. Um, another thing I didn't like about my Sidell was if you put a 40 pound lamb in there, and it's going through, if it turns around, one side of that thing has a bracket uh, that kind of closes up a gap. It comes with <laughs> one, but the other side don't. So I had lambs that were just 
they would turn around in right. there and boom, they'd go out that corner. So I'm like, golly guys, y'all need another. Oh, we have another bracket. <laughs> what? I want a bracket. Give me a bracket, you know? And so those are things that if, if people come to me, I'm like, look, if you buy one of these, get an extra bracket and get doors yeah. that open on both sides, you know, probably cost you 50 or a hundred bucks, but yeah. it's worth a thousand, you know? Um, and, and one other thing I have a problem with is, um, of course, I, I guess I'll be wiring Kyle out with questions. When, when I go to roll, uh, or my, where my head catch is, I have a, a three way, a sort in front of it. And if a sheep gets into that sort, and they're really excited and trying to leave the earth and they turn around real fast, uh -huh. there's a gap. And, uh, and I've put a little, like a little plastic gap or I've tried different pieces of material. And sometimes when I go to tip, roll my table over, it catches and I'm hung. So, um, I don't know. I got to work on that a little bit, but, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been happy. You know, it's a, it's an investment for sure. And, uh, mine's all out in the weather. I'm trying to cover it this year. And, uh, and I'll probably change a few things once I get it out of, uh, out of the weather. Um, I have a scale that I go in before I go to my tilt table and, and it's just an extra component and I'll probably sell it and buy load sales for oh, my side wow. dale. That way, you know, that's just one more piece of equipment that my animals don't right. have to go in and stop. You know, it's kind of my hang it's my hang up spot right now is, is if I get a lamb or a you in there and a, my scale in my scale cage, man, sometimes it's a, it's, it's a five minute <laughs> job to get them out of there. Cause I, I can't, I can't lean over, you know, and I can't get in yeah. from, you know, it's just a pain in the neck. So, uh, so I'm going to sell that, um, and, and just get me load sales underneath my, my tilt table. Once I have a con, once yeah. I know where my permanent spot is and I have a concrete section to set it on, uh, then hopefully that'll be the end yeah. of that. So what do you, you all use, um, for scales? Cause that's something that, uh, you know, I think everybody, everybody I've talked to does it a little bit differently. Um, so what do you, what is your guys' system for, for weighing lambs? Do you guys bring all your lambs in from pasture in the summer then to your, your, your set shoot system, or do you guys move your shoot system out to the no, pasture? No, they come into the barn to the system. Um, and we mm -hmm. have a, a, it's a, a cage system from DS where the, and a, a, a rotary scale. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd like to get a digital someday, but, uh, it works great. And, and we swap out yeah. the scale cage with the tilt table. So they go with the same spot. So. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I seen, uh, uh, remember, uh, when we went to, it, it wasn't now it wasn't on our expo tour. It was on a, a different tour at Ohio at Worcester. Uh, I was on, um, they had their facility under a really big portable car, uh, carport type structure. And they had a section, uh, that they, um, moved four or five pieces of equipment in that same mm -hmm. spot, depending on what they were doing. Um, and, and you know, like a tilt table scale. I mean, they had three or four pieces that, that were yeah. fixed for that. That was pretty neat. Um, yep. We move stuff in and out all the time. That's what's nice about having the the equipment 
rather than homemade stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Plug and play. Yeah. I had a guy make me a five way uh, sort system and, uh, man, it, it is so cool. And, um, so, so when I come out of my side L, uh, they, I have, um, uh, handles and rope pulleys overhead and from my, from my side L, when they go out the head gate, I can pick two side. They can go to the left into two pins <laughs> forward into a pin or two pins to the left. And one of my doors to the left or to the right will eventually lead to a loading chute that I'm doing. And, uh, so, so it was kind of a futuristic, uh, (laughs) plan that I had in mind. I needed a, I needed a three or four way sort now. And, uh, so it's pretty cool. I really, I really like, and I seen it on that tour at Ohio state. They had a wooden one made kind of a permanent deal. And so I took lots of pictures and videos of it and uh, sent it to my buddy that was making some panels and gates at the time. And I'm like, Hey man, we need to make one of these. I think you can sell them, you know? And so he made mine and, uh, and, uh, probably, I don't know, four or five months goes by and he's working himself to death and decides <laughs> he don't want to do it no more. <laughs> so luckily I got one before he quit. Yeah. Is there any kind of, while we're still talking about uh, equipment, is there anything that, um, is there any kind of oddball deal like my sort deal? Is there anything that would just be that you think the people need want that's not out there? Is there something missing? I don't know. That's a, that's a question that, uh, I, I've asked the side L guys. I, I want to see, I want to see some stuff they've done for flocks of, you know, a thousand, two thousand. I want to see what those guys are are doing. Um, Cause I know my first section I bought, I can't imagine <laughs> running a thousand sheep through there. there there's gotta be a better way, you know? So um, that I want to see all that stuff. I, there's gotta be a more efficient way of, of mm-hmm. time management. Ours maybe. works pretty slick because I run them in a lot during the summertime. And usually once I get everybody started, I don't have to keep pushing them through. They'll, they'll run themselves through. So mm-hmm. it works pretty slick. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. My, my do too. It, my scale is my hang up, mm-hmm. you know, uh, without the scale they they would go pretty, pretty smooth. And, and I also usually the weekend before I work my sheep, uh, a lot of times I'll run them through and I'll just have the, all the doors open, all the gates open and I run them through the alley and the chute and out the tilt table and don't touch them, you know, and it, it sure makes it a lot easier (laughs) the next weekend. Yeah. And, and you're probably saving a lot of animal stress too, because they know where they're going. They know they're going to get through. And so, you know, if they're sitting in there for a little bit, um, you know, that reduced stress, you're saving they, pounds really. And you're saving dollars. They don't, they don't know they're fixing yeah. to get tackled yeah. or not. You know? <laughs> yep. One thing I would like to see is somebody have a portable shelter that you can move from field to field, uh, pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've wanted the same thing. Cause 
I'm doing management intensive grazing out here. So I'm moving them every day on pasture. Um, and it's hard to get something that's, that's got really any size to it that you can move. And, um, you know, for what, what I did early on and what I've still got and still trying to figure it out is I actually, I built some out of PVC pipe. Um, I think it's inch and a half or might be inch and three quarter pipe. And then just, um, that like poly sheeting, um, for the roof material and it works. I mean, it's really light, you know, but once you start getting super long, I mean, you need to have, you know, some wheels on there. Um, I've thought about designing one where it could be hooked up to a three point on a tractor to where you could just lift it up, um, and then have wheels on the back end and then just roll it. Um, but the problem with any shelter that I've seen is wind. Um, you have to really strap it down with anchor rods and, and that takes time to put in anchor rods, put in straps, move those. Um, I have a, a friend that raises uh, cattle out here and, and he actually took an old, uh, Oh, like, um, an old truck, um, and not, not a semi, but a, a larger truck, um, or not, not a larger truck than a semi, not a regular pickup in between a, uh, a pickup and a semi, just like a, like yeah. a two ton or three ton. Yeah. Or something like that. Um, and then he, he just has a just for shelter. And so then he welded, uh, you know, posts coming out the sides and then he could put roofing material on that and then he could just turn it on drive it forwards and it was you know an old truck that you know it wasn't going to run that great but but hey if you're just moving it over an acre it doesn't have to run that great it just has to start and move and turn off <laughs> um and so that was what he did and i mean you're going to have a little bit more weight if you have a i think it's probably about a 310 um you know then then you know, you've got enough weight to hold it down when a wind's going to blow. It's not going to flip it over. Um, but yeah. What I've, what I've seen in my world uh, with some cattle guys is the old tobacco wagons, you know, and those things are laying around everywhere now since, you know, tobacco's kind of scaled back and, uh, and they've took and, and just attached PVC pipe um, and, and poly, you know, material over it to make a shade. And, uh, you know, they probably replace their tarp every, every couple of years or something, but, uh, they can hook a tractor or four wheeler to it and drag it from place to place. And, you know, I think most of those things are probably what, 20, 25 foot long, maybe. And, uh, so you can get quite a few sheep, you know, and something well, I was like thinking that. about something like a hay wagon or something and putting like a, a roof on it and then having wings that would fold out. Yeah. Fold down. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen I, one of the ones I've seen on the tobacco uh, trailer was uh, had to fold down. Up to drive through the gates, and then when you got to where it's going, you just fold the sides yeah. down. Yeah, those commercial deals that they're selling are really nice, but golly, man, they're so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> that seems to be the thing. You can find some really nice stuff out there, and most of the time, it's it's fairly expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's why I got one big tree. So. Can you can you move that around pretty easy, or does it take a little bit of time? No, when it gets about ninety ninety five, I, I send all the sheep to there. So I'm hoping I'm hoping my uh, my summer annuals will will provide plenty of shade. Yeah, and uh, so so oh oh, this is a funny story. I, uh, on a dorper note, 
So I was out in West Texas this week and I'm going to, I'm going to call one of my buddies tonight. It's a big Dorper guy. And I was giving him a hard time about how short they are. I know why they're short now that, that grass out in Texas <laughs> is about a foot tall, foot and a half tall. And it, those sheep are, they get shade from the grass <laughs> and it camouflaged from the coyotes. <laughs> so it's a win-win. <laughs> I, t- I took some pictures, you know, to, to show my, uh, my, what I'd learned, you yeah. know? Yeah. Out here, um, with, with the sagebrush, I mean, that sagebrush will get four feet tall, um, easily. And, uh, and so a lot of people out here just, you know, if they've got some sagebrush, Probably. yeah, let them out there. They'll get a little bit of rain cover sometimes. I know people that lamb in, in sagebrush and, and they get a little bit of cover and, and they get some shade and, maybe even a little bit of a wind block and um you know a lot of people don't like the side of the sagebrush but but it serves a purpose it serves yep. a purpose yep yep well we've covered a lot of sheep stuff what about what about khsi what year did you guys uh, uh larry was on the board at some point and got yeah. lucky enough to be president <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> And, and my claim to fame is that back in the day, KH, KHSI was a very small group of people. And we just had a little mimeograph sheet for a newsletter. And so there were some things we wanted to do, but we didn't have the money to do it because our dues weren't but like $15 a year. So when I was president, yeah. we were down in Macomb, Mississippi. I the board and I was talking and I says, we need to raise these dues up. Uh, and uh, so the discussion was to go to, you know, 20 or $25. And I says, no, we got to go to 50. I says, we need some real money so that we can put out our first class magazine. If we want to claim that we're, you know, the organization has grown by then to a good size. I says, if we want to say we're going to compete with these other breeds and be a be a first class organization we need a first class magazine we need to pay uh, mm-hmm. uh jim and Teresa a decent salary because so we were paying them squat and i said but we just need some more money and i says 25 dollars ain't going to get it and and then i says i'm in a mood right. i think i can sell it so sure enough i got in there i laid out everything and you know it and wasn't hardly any discussion. It, it overwhelmingly passed fifty dollars. So a couple years later, we were up Maryland at the uh, when the convention was up there, and I went to pay my dues for the next year to Teresa, and I said, uh, "How much are the dues?" And everybody looks at me, and Lisa slapped me on the shoulder and says, "You know how much the dues are." I says, "How do I know how much the dues are?" She goes, "You're the one that set up." And I said, okay, how much did I set them for? He said, $50. I said, why the hell did you let me raise them that high? Because <laughs> I just drew a blank. I just drew a blank. I couldn't remember that. <laughs> you, you know, and that's something, uh, you know, somebody will ask a question, you know, what did the board do about this? Well, I don't remember. You know, once you leave a topic, you know, just like your do thing, once you did it and you went on to the next project, mm-hmm. it's hard to remember everything, you know, and, and I try, you know, and, and my job, I try not to focus on previous events. You know, I try to stay forward thinking 
and and I can always go back and find it written or documented somewhere, but I try not to retain it. You know, uh, it, it's tough. It's very tough to remember something that happened four or five months ago when you've got a lot of other projects. Another thing is on. back in the day when when the cottons were first developed and we first organized and everything we were very anti-show because we were concerned about what had happened to other breeds in the show ring. Um, today, there's still mm -hmm, a right. lot of controversy about the show people versus the performance people. But my philosophy is that we have grown to such a large organization. There's room for both groups. There's room for everybody. Absolutely. It's no longer we got to go one or the other. I think there's uh, we're a large enough organization that we can do both. Yeah. Yeah, I try to uh, compare it to the quarter horses. You know, uh, used to uh, the quarter horse uh, would show up at a show. He would do a halter class. He would do a Western pleasure class. He would be a cutter. You know, uh, he was an all-around horse. Today, you got a halter horse that, Nobody rides. You got a jumping horse that's sixteen two, and you got a reining and a cutting horse yeah. that's fourteen three, and they all they all come from the same yeah. genetic base. They've just been specialized over the years, but they're still yeah. American quarter horses, and and we're in the same boat. You know, we're our breed has the ability to adapt to pretty much anything. So you can have two hundred pound ewes, and and you know, do show, or you can do hundred pound use and do a grass fed or, or, or anything in between. Uh, so yeah, you know, I don't think, I think the controversial show versus production is probably overblown a little bit. I mean, I, I, I wasn't in it back then to know, you know, but, uh, you know, being on the board for the last four or five years, it, it really doesn't get brought up a lot. I mean, I, I, I see some tension occasionally, but, but really it's, um, you, you know, it's still there a little, but I, I don't think it's that big of a deal like it well, probably has been. Yeah. You know? And I think, I mean, if you think about it from even just like a, you know, a free market kind of perspective, I mean, you know, people can do what they need to do with their sheep. Some people need, need show, show sheep to, to sell them. You know, some people market them that way. That's what people, some people enjoy doing and the feed system that they, they are already feeding. Um, other people like, like I could probably never take one of my lambs. That's not, you know, I don't, my sheep don't ever get a, a single bite of grain ever. And, and they're just grass and hay and those sheep probably wouldn't show very well in a show ring, but that's what my market wants. And so, um, you know, I think if we, I know sometimes it seems like, you know, people try to think everybody needs to raise sheep the same way, but, but there is so many different ways to raise sheep and, and there's not a right way and a wrong way. There's, there's lots of good ways. Exactly right. The <laughs> um, sheep industry is one of the smallest proteins out there and we all need to do everything we can to support each other. Yeah. Yeah. I know that I like going to shows. Uh, I don't show. I, uh, I'm too lazy to put in the effort, uh, to show and, uh, and I'm too, uh, competitive <laughs> to lose. So, uh, those two things do not make a, a right, you know? Um, but I do think that the exposure from the showing has definitely helped the breed. And, uh, and I don't think that in, in conversations in the last couple of years, 
I don't think many of the, the guys that were pushing, you know, show, show, show realized how much production data there is to validate the NSIP. So I think, I think we have educated both sides, you know, equally and how important both yes. aspects are to the breed. And That's um, right. go Katahdin. <laughs> I mean, when you see, when you see the volume of, of the animals that show up at these events, it's, it's amazing, you know, and, and, and as a board member now, you know, I'm, I'm wanting, I'm wanting the show guys to tell me where the next show is that we need to help get them in there. You know, if there's a state that, uh, that has a really big show and the Katahdins don't have their own class, what do we have to do as an organization to, to get them in there? Because once we start, it'll take off. Yeah. Uh, it's just that first year or two that, that they need some support or, or backing, or, you know, maybe we got to pay the entry, whatever we got to do to get it started, then, then it'll take off. And that'll be a segment in that state that, uh, just helps us grow and, more. And I think you know? that's one of the things that you asked, you know, our, our sheep have changed in 30 years, but the other thing is, is that Katahdin's have revolutionized the sheep industry in the South. It's bigger than it. Oh, absolutely. And and I really think that that's appreciated across the United States. But um, it's it's a it's the biggest change I've seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, what do you see as the future then of the of the sheep industry? How do you see it changing in the future? I know, you know, there's hair sheep are starting to make inroads out here in the West, but you know, most of the breeders out here are running a few thousand, you know, ewes and, and to really try hair sheep, they need 500 ewes to, to really try it. And, and, you know, for them, they're getting, um, some income from the wool. And so, you know, there's maybe a little bit of a, um, a hesitation there and, and kind of like what we were talking about earlier, you know, different sheep meet different systems. And so sometimes, you know, their hair sheep are good for a system. Wool sheep are are good for a different system. What do you guys see as kind of the, the future of the industry as a whole um, nationwide? Well, I think our challenge back in the early 90s is the same as it is today. We need to get the numbers of good Katahdins to continue to increase. If somebody wanted to put together a uh, hundred uh, top females, you know, that would be a challenge for them mm -hmm. to put that together to buy a hundred females or, uh, yeah. and, and I think that's still our biggest, just like you're talking about, uh, a lot of people say, well, why can't we get these, uh, big guys out West? Well, like Lisa said, we've been to ASI convention and there was a guy in Texas had 15,000 Dorpers. Yeah. You know, guy in Wyoming had 7,000 sheep that he drove on a herd uh, like a cattle drive every year, a hundred miles in each direction took all summer. You know, these, you know, that's yeah. not, not unusual to talk to people. It's got that kind of numbers and there's no way if somebody yep. came to KHSI and says, I want to buy a thousand top use for breeding that we could put that, we could put it together. And I think you couldn't even you couldn't even do it if they said I just want a thousand playing. Yeah, <laughs> they don't have to be top. They you couldn't put together a group of a thousand 
right. similar size. And so I, I, I think that's our challenge, but it's also our potential uh, to continue to grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did a Ohio State uh, 409 class or something, a carcass uh, valuation deal a couple years ago. And uh, I was the, the odd man there with uh, Katahdin and uh, all these uh, lamb producers from all out west. One guy there, he, he was a marketer, and his job was to sell lamb for three farms, three farms co-op together. And he sold 100,000 lambs a year for those three farms. And, uh, and my roommate was like a fifth or sixth generation guy. And they were, he was down to about 4,000 ewes. And uh, so I'm asking him, hey, you know, how do we get, you know, wh what does it take for you guys to try some Katahdin ewes? You know, and his deal is, well, you know, 100 ain't enough to try. You know, I need 1,000. I'm like, <laughs> I can't help you. <laughs> Sorry. You know, our, our average flock size in the breed's probably 25 or 30, you know. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just, it, it'll take us a while to get enough flocks to, of that size to even uh, make a dent, you know. Oh, Great yes. challenge to have. That's <laughs> why I'm still very optimistic about the future. I think uh, there's a potential there for growth and uh especially as we see uh, the consumption starting to tick up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's exciting too, just to see, I mean, even, you know, not just Katahdin's cause you know, it's an industry as a whole. Um, it's exciting to see some of the, the changes that are being implemented, you know, even going back to what we talked about earlier with the fecal egg count and EBVs coming to all the breeds um, you know, that, that alone can can revolutionize the sheep industry, and, and Katahdin's have really pushed that and made that a possibility um, through all the study and the research and, and the evidence that yeah, you can genetically reduce the amount of dewormers you're using, and and I think that I mean just whether that's Katahdin's or not that move into some of these flocks, the parasite resistance um, I think is something that we're going to have to see as an industry moving forwards being incorporated more into, into sheep flocks. And it's exciting to see that that opportunity is being opened up um, to other breeds as well. Yeah. One thing I think that will happen uh, at some point, probably in the next, I don't know, maybe five or 10 years, maybe just throwing out a number is with the increased volume of lambs in the Southeast, you know, superior or somebody is going to put a plant over here. Um, you know, with the, with the number of lambs dropping out west, seems like, you know, hearing these guys talk, and the increase of the lambs on the east, uh, east of the Mississippi, say, um, at some point it's going to be advantageous for them to uh, capitalize on that. And if that happens, that would be a game changer for the, for the southeast. Yeah. Anyway. Well, if they do that, hopefully they don't move the plant. Hopefully they just add another one. Don't take our plant from out here. We, we want our processing plants well, out man, here. <laughs> <laughs> you already got the one that just shut yeah. down, you know, the mountain state. Yeah. And, uh, so that's already got lamb backed yep. up, you know, forever. So, um, even if they'd added one, I don't think it would yeah. hurt anything. You know, I don't think it would, yeah. uh, uh, cause a, yeah, cause a we drop. need to add, definitely need to add more plants. I saw the other day about an, another plant that's, you know, trying to open up. It's just, it's so difficult to try to, to add 
processing plants because of so much infrastructure cost that you got to put into these. But, but I mean, it pays for itself, you know, long-term you, you have such a high demand for it. Um, you know, one thing I thought would be an interesting model and I don't know if it would work or not, but a, a sort of a crowdfunding type of deal where you could have a whole bunch of producers get together and say, Hey, you know, we, we could supply the lambs to this processor, but I can't build a processor. My neighbor can't build a processor. His neighbor can't build a processor. But if we all chip in, you know, a certain amount, then we could build a processing plant together and, and you could do kind of a, um, you know, a, a type of a business model where people buy shares of the company and, um, you know, invest in the company, build a processing plant and then get the return for processing their own lambs, I think could, could be a, a model that could work. Um, that's, that's the model that just went bankrupt. Oh, well, that's what the mountain state guys were. They were a co-op of yeah. sheep farmers. Yep. Well, I mean, so I'm sure that I'm sure there was more to it than, yeah. you know, there's probably some other stuff. And usually those things after a while, somebody's doing all the yeah. work and, and yeah. you know, those well, it'd have to be a, a pretty, happen. pretty big kind of deal. And, and you'd have to have it in an area where um, there's not processing. And, 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 you know, it, it's one of those things where you can have a pandemic hit and shut down a processing plant and nobody expected that coming. No, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely an interesting industry for sure. Yes, it is. So thinking about some kind of advice for new producers, um, you guys have been, been raising sheep for a long time and, and bring a, a wealth of experience and knowledge. Um, what are some of the, maybe the, the biggest successes you've had or the, the hardest circumstances or, or even failures that you've seen, um, either you or others have that, that should be replicated or avoided in order to, to be successful. What would be some, you know, if you had just a couple tips, you know, somebody drives up to your farm, buys some sheep and, um, you know, they're talking to you about what should I do? Um, what would you tell them? they should do first uh and i've told people this is buy good stuff to start out when we started out mm -hmm. with angus cattle we started out with just some commercial heifers and uh different ones and messed around we eventually ended up buying a couple of nice cows from weirman and it made a huge difference because we learned it's almost impossible to breed up if you buy poor quality stock it's almost impossible to get them to good good quality same way with sheep. Um, this guy gave us a couple old Suffolk ewes. Uh, they were bred of polypase. And then when we started buying our Katahdins and crossed them, those lands were better, but they would still never have been as good as our purebred stuff. So buy, even if you're just going to be a, a hobby farmer or a commercial person, still go ahead and buy really good stock. Uh, because they're going to be more healthier. They're going to be easier to take care of. They're going to give you less problems. That's my first uh, advice. The second is I tell people, always look at the flock. If somebody has a handful of sheep in the barn and said, this is what I've got for sale, said, that's great. Let me go look at your flock. Uh, we had a guy years ago, we was looking for a ram, and he said, this is what we have for sale. He says, and I says, where's your flock? And he said, oh, they're on another farm about 10 miles down the road. And the only way to get in there is four-wheel drive. And guess what? 
me and my wife and him got in his four-wheel drive pickup and rode down there and looked at his flock. Uh, because that's going to tell you more uh, about his operation than just looking at a handful of sheep in the barn for sale is go ahead and look yeah. at the whole flock to see what his whole operation is about. Definitely. And visit, you know, and visit a lot of different breeders to see what's going on and what's out there. Just like you were talking about the equipment, Look at the yep. different ones, look at their management practices and make sure their management practices kind of match up with what you want to do. Yeah. I, I tell people, take your car, leave your pocketbook at home and, uh, and go look. And, uh, that way you don't get, you know, buy itis and start getting crazy because you've seen a cool looking sheep. Just go look and look at a lot of people. Yeah. And, and do your research. There's plenty of there's plenty of articles online, lots of websites, lots of um, ed, extension. Do your research. Yeah. Yeah, and there's something else. I I try. People send me lots of pictures. Hey, what do you think about this sheep? What do you? And I always t look in the back of the picture. Look at everything else in that picture, not just that one animal. A lot of times you can see the mama you know, or the siblings or something else. And you're like, wait a minute, something's going on here. Or, you know, use, don't, don't fall in love with a picture. Look at the entire picture, you know, try to see if you can dig anything else up. Um, and don't buy a hundred sheep to start with. <laughs> buy, buy five or 10 to kill first and then, uh, and then, then go, go from there. How many, four. how many did y'all start with? Four. Yeah, I started with four and a Ram too. And, uh, and I thought worst case scenario, I'll eat them <laughs> and they'll be delicious. All of ours <laughs> lived. Um, actually one of the four didn't breed. So right. we went up the next year and got two more, I think. Four more. Four more. Yeah. So, uh, and that's, we haven't really bought a lot of, Emails. We bought those eight from Henry, and then we bought two from Curly Liker in, in Victoria, Kansas. And then a couple from Missouri. We bought some from, did we? Yeah, maybe we took the trail all the way okay. out there. But, so really, uh, the, most of our, all, almost all of our use have come from the us. Well, for the last five years. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I just uh, I just give my dad uh, my six oldest sheep, and they were the last six that were not raised on my place, and um, so that was that was a a point in my I guess career that now now all the ewes are on on my place are mine uh, that I've chosen their breeding and yeah. selected for you know, and it was kind of funny. Uh, two three weeks ago he come to my house to help me work my lambs and we had done his probably two weeks earlier and his are probably three to four weeks older than mine and um so we're up there running, and the first couple of lambs that come through he's like golly man this is nice uh I, th I think you're holding out on me and i'm like no i didn't give you my good stuff you know and uh but it it, it goes to show you that my use come from your use 
so you can get there too and and we'll we'll get there but yeah you weren't getting my good ones first year i thought you'd kill them all so. <laughs> oh yeah but it's fun it's been fun we've enjoyed it uh i enjoy it more than ever my kids don't enjoy it uh but we're almost uh uh empty nesters pretty much so uh i yeah, gotta enjoy we're the same it, way know? Well, let's see. I don't think what you anything else, Caleb. We have touched everything. Yeah, I think it's it's been great. I really appreciate. We didn't necessarily go off of our sheet, by the way. I think we kind of <laughs> veered off, and that's normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's just so much to talk about, and um, really appreciate you know all the experience you guys have. And we were talking about this the other day. Um, I think after after our last podcast with Jane, just, you know, in these first few podcasts, I mean, the amount of combined years of experience, you can never get that in a lifetime. And so we really appreciate you guys coming on uh, the podcast and telling us about what you guys have done, what you guys are doing. Um, and and kind of excited to see, you know, looking forward together as an industry, how we can continue to build um, how we can continue to market Katahdin's and, and even, you know, how we can continue to market lamb and, and just sheep in general, grow the industry. Um, there's definitely a lot of room to grow for sure. Uh, especially when we talk about small flocks and, and uh, maybe even, you know, cattle operations, adding flocks of sheep. There's, there's a lot of room for the industry and I think Katahdin's play a unique role in that. And so it's neat to see, um, and hear your experience. Yeah, if you got, if you guys, yeah, if y'all started in the, say, in 1990, then this puts us up at about 180 years of combined experience so far in our podcast. So uh, we need to start charging for this, that's for sure. It's, <laughs> this is knowledge you the can't buy with a book. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that was – I had somebody call me not before last. I was driving back from Texas, and, and he said, man, he said, I, I listened to one – and I was so hooked. I listened to the rest of them while I was cutting hay. And, uh, and he, and he said, you know, I've been doing sheep now for five or six years. This guy's up in Kentucky. And he said, um, I just really enjoy listening to people. They're being sincere when they're telling about their operation. You know, they're not trying to sell me nothing. And, um, and they're just telling me about what they do. And, and he said, no, I don't know any of the people you guys have talked to. And, uh, and I said, well, that's why we're doing, it. you know, we want to touch as many people as possible and, and hopefully, uh, you know, somebody hears this and reaches out to you guys, you know, do y'all have a website? How do y'all, uh, do you, uh, you got a Facebook page website? How can people get out, get in touch with you yeah, guys? Yeah, we have a Facebook, uh, no, we have a, gosh, it's late. <laughs> we, have a uh, we have a website. It's a uh, triple Awesome. Yeah. You were talking, uh, you made a comment earlier about, um, you know, a advertising a lot of new people, you know, and, and, um, that's the thing from the time y'all started till now, the internet has made a huge, uh, way in the way people yeah. market. <laughs> and, um, you know, I try to, you know, people kind of got mad because Facebook, um, quit letting people sell animals so many years ago or whatever. 
well, it's always been a rule, but they finally cracked down and, and now what am I going to, how am I going to sell my sheep? I don't have the internet. You know, I don't have Facebook. Well, you, you got to be creative. You know, what about 10 years ago when yeah. there wasn't no Facebook? There you weren't know? cell phones when we started raising sheep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably, uh, that's, that's something the kids, my kids always say, well, how did you know where all of your friends were when you were growing up? My mom, they were in town. We knew where they were. I didn't, we didn't have phones to call and say, Hey, where you at? We just all went to town because everybody was in town, you know? And, and I wouldn't trade that for what they do for anything. Yeah. You definitely, I think that's, you know, one unfortunate thing about technology is you lose some of that personal connection and, um, and I, and I, I guess in a lot of ways, that's kind of, again, the goal of this podcast is to bring a personal connection where people can, can get content and, and interact with people, uh, at least hear people's personal stories. You know, like, like Robert said, it's just, you know, genuine, sincere, just want people to tell their story and, um, you know, you can listen to it, you can hear it, you can walk away uh, with, with something new every time. And, um, you know, what's happened that people come on, tell the stories. Um, really appreciate it so really appreciate both of you taking the time out of your day to to tell us about what you guys have done it's it's uh exciting to see um you know where the breeds come and and thank you to both of you guys for the dedication that you've put into it to breeding sheep and really investing in nsip and and the industry and um and thanks for raising the the uh membership <laughs> fee <laughs> <laughs> but but in all seriousness no i mean you know if 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 we didn't have you know that type of publication if we didn't have um you know the education at the office i mean you know i i could tell you if if it weren't for you know having kh decide a call early on with my questions you know if i couldn't have have called jim morgan and, and asked him questions I don't know that I would still be raising sheep today because I didn't have anybody ask questions to. So, you know, you guys invested, invested forward in the industry. Um, and, and I really appreciate that as somebody who's trying to get into the industry and, um, get more involved in it. So, well, thank thank you you. for asking. It was enjoyable. Yeah. Well, good deal. I'm glad y'all, uh, liked it. We, we like it. Everybody else so far has enjoyed it. So, uh, it's been a lot of fun. we, we are not uh, radio guys or, uh, you know, I got into podcasting a couple of years ago just listening. <clears throat> Caleb's got the radio voice. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> you both do fine. <laughs> well, thank you. And thanks for being on. And uh, we'll get this published in a couple of days. And uh, hopefully people start calling you and uh, buying some sheep or asking questions. and. Uh, continuing to help everybody. That would be great. Well, I don't have anything else. Uh, it's been fun. It's been a long time. What time is it? We got two hours. Two, <laughs> oh man! Well, we started late. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and and our goal when we started <laughs> was uh, was to stay thirty forty five yeah. minutes. I don't think that's going to no. happen. <laughs> we, it's never it's never going to happen. Too much content. <laughs> It is too detailed. You know, uh, um, I listened to the ASI uh, podcast and this guy's got a 
he's got a radio voice. He's very trained and he's, you know, and I, and it's so fake sounding and they spend 15, 20 minutes on a topic yeah. and they don't cover nothing. And, uh, and I think what we're doing is so detailed there, there's no way we can, you know, we can talk about any topic in under 20 yeah. minutes. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, guys. Well, thanks for being on and, uh, and, uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Are y'all, y'all coming to expo? If we, if we, hopefully we still have one, we'll know here. Yes. In a few we should be weeks, able to. Probably. Yeah. I, I, it's a great facility and, Man, I just hate that uh, we're going through what we're going through to, because uh, I think it's a good market and a good location, and you know, yeah, bad it is. Timing. But good things will come on the other side. Yep, yep, we'll make the best yeah. of it. So, all righty, well, talk to you guys later. I'm going. Okay, to, good I night, you guys. Bye. Talk to you later. See ya. Bye. Well, another great podcast on the books. That was great to hear their experience. And, um, you know, it's, it's always wonderful to hear from people that have been raising katahdins and raising sheep for a long time, see their perspective on the industry um, and see where they've really taken sheep. I know I, I walked away with, with something from this, this podcast too, and just like I do with every podcast. And, um, you know, it's, I think it's important to think about how you invest in your association. Um, because, you know, in the short term, it may seem like, well, you know, what kind of benefit am I getting out of this? But, but long term, I mean, when you talk about promotion of a breed or even, you know, when you're talking about a state sheep association or even, you know, American national associations, um, you know, you, you get that benefit. It just, it's long term and, and it will pay off. It's just like any sort of investment. Um, you know, your, your return on investment is going to be larger if your investment sits longer and i think that's exactly what we've seen in the industry and i really appreciate the people like larry and lisa that have invested in the industry both in their time and and everything with their dedication to the breed and dedication to the industry but even their dedication to the association just making sure that it could be viable and, and produce some value for its members oh absolutely and uh you know, I see, uh, I used to subscribe to uh, Western Horseman and, you know, Sports Illustrated and some of these other magazines and, uh, you know, $20, $30 a year to subscribe to a magazine. And, uh, you know, that's what you're getting with a membership, you know, to a breed association, whether it's uh, Angus exactly. or Quarter Horse or KHSI, you know, I mean, uh, uh, yeah. that, that magazine alone that we produce, uh, KHSI is, is rock solid, you know, yeah. with, with educational and, and events, you know, and, and shows yeah. that are coming up and breeding stock. And yeah, I know people that, that just join the association just so they can get that publication because it has so much information in there has so much value. And, um, you know, it's worth the membership fees just for that publication. And to think of before that publication was around, um, the the forethought that that Larry had and and trying to push that when he was president, I think it's it's uh, contributed to the breed a lot. Yeah, I think we have uh, on our on the Katahdin website there, you know, where the magazines are at. Uh-huh. There is a if you look at the very first year or two of magazines that are yeah. archived <laughs> on there, that's the one that they're talking about. And yeah, uh, to go from you know 
uh, five or six pages stapled together and put in the mail to what we have now is, uh, is pretty, pretty impressive, you know, and, and we did have the data. Um, I just don't know it off the top of my hand, how many people joined just for the magazine mm-hmm. uh, that have never registered an animal, you know, so yeah. pretty, pretty cool stuff. But yeah, the, uh, Larry and them, uh, if you take their experience and add it to our first uh, couple of guests, we're, we're pushing 180 years of experience in the sheep industry. So, uh, yep. pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Yeah. I'd have to be a cat to make that happen. I'd have to have nine lives just to get 180 <laughs> years at, at my age so far. So, um, and I, that's, that's not going to happen. So it's, uh, pretty exciting to, to get to hear all that experience and, um, something you're, you're never going to gain from, from really anything. I mean, you couldn't do that in a lifetime. So it's exciting. Well, see, I'm 48, 49. So that'd be 130 something years. So uh, the last <laughs> 10 years have really been hard on me. I could never handle it. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, it's been fun and uh, we'll get this uh, out to everybody. And uh, uh, just another, another great example of the breeders that we have that are long-term, uh, um, you know, patriarchs of the breed that have really helped get us to where we are, you know, definitely. Well, everyone, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far and, and hopefully it's sparking some questions in your mind as you're thinking about your operations and thinking about what you can do to improve. Maybe you're new and and thinking about questions of, of how you can continue raising your sheep and, and things that you're learning and things you still have questions about. Send us an email, uh, podcast at sheepthings.com. We'll get those emails and uh, we'll, we'll be happy to answer your questions. And uh, after we get a few questions, periodically we'll actually do a podcast uh, with question and answer. And we'll answer your questions right on the podcast here so you can listen to our answers. And, and we're happy to answer any questions that we can. And hopefully this podcast is, is generating those questions in your mind as you start thinking about it. But hopefully it's answering questions too. You come to this podcast ready to learn and and uh, I know I'm always learning something new talking with these people people that I've I've known before people that I haven't and you always learn something new and so hopefully we can help answer your questions but we can't answer your questions unless you send them to us so again that's podcast at cheapthings.com podcast at cheapthings.com email us your questions and we'll be happy to answer them uh, coming up here soon Thanks for listening to the Sheep Things Podcast. Stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates. We want your feedback, so you can email us at podcast at sheepthings.com for suggestions or comments. Thank you, and see you later. guys let's get ready for part two of our conversation with larry and lisa weeks this will be season one episode 14 Uh, so i hope you enjoy our conversation